Yes. Yes. Okay. And then now we're going to do a, a one, two, three clap. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Are you, are you all set up? Ready to go? Uh, yes, I am ready to go. All right. Okay. One, two, three. I think that worked. Hi. I think it worked. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. I, I, it's sad that our podcast is always just going to be us clapping at the beginning. <laughs> I kind of like it. It makes me feel like we're on a film set where they drop the little chalk thingy. Yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. It makes us feel like movie stars. Yes. We're very Hollywood. Um, hello, booze. Happy Friday. Happy, happy Pentagram Friday, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Um, we are back and it's so exciting. Yes. I'm glad that we have our second week ready to go so that we can actually have weekly episodes like we planned. <laughs> Oh, like the whole purpose of this podcast initially? Yes. You know, the, the whole purpose. <laughs> T- took a year. It's fine. We got there eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it hasn't been that long since we've talked. So do you have any business? Uh, no. My business was that I embarrassed myself about 20 minutes ago. Ooh, um, do tell. Yeah. So I'm going to use work and this podcast as an excuse not to cook, so I'm so glad that you were cooking, because one of us has our life together. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I ordered a pizza, and then um, I went to the door, and this guy, this pizza delivery guy, um, he says to me, like, just, and he's a really nice Australian guy, but he says, oh, shame, dinner for one. Oh, and, my God. <laughs> and... Like, clearly, and I hadn't, like, it was at that point in the day where it was still too light to turn on the actual lights, but, like, so my my apartment was really shadowy, I clearly looked, like, haggard from the day, um, and was ordering this pizza by myself, but, and part of me had this, like, feminist reaction, so I think at first I frowned to be like, what, sir, like, a lady can't eat a pizza by herself on a Friday? But instead... <laughs> Instead, Maggie, what I did, because this is what I always do, is something weird. So I kind of looked, like, in the thin air beside myself, and I said, Oh, I've I've got a friend. I'm talking to a friend, or a friend is coming. Like, I was referring to you in this podcast, but I looked (laughs) in the space next to me. And, like, clearly freaked this guy out because I was talking to thin air. So it was mortifying. Um... And also kind of mortifying equally that I consider this podcast my, like, friend that I'm hanging out with to share pizza with. So, (laughs) anyways, I'm having a cool Friday. (laughs) That's a great, that's a good Friday. You know what? Yeah. Talking to ghosts across the country with your friend on a Friday night, like, there's there's nothing better. The outside world is not a place that I want to be right now. So, (laughs) same here, and I, like, and again, part of me, like, it was this mixed reaction of owning it, like, yeah, sir, I am alone and eating this pizza by myself on a Friday night. What of it? But then the other half just, like, clearly spooked this guy, so really keeping it cool on a pentagram Friday. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He probably thought that you were talking to a ghost, which is very on theme. I hope so. Otherwise, like, uh, you know, a ghost would be at least sort of plausible and understandable. Just, like, girl talking to herself on Friday night? Not, no, not cute. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyways, so that's my day. Otherwise, I didn't have anything. Um, What did you, you tagged me in Twitter on something, though. Or I retweeted something on Twitter. 
What was the... Oh, the guy who was saying, tell me your favorite ghost stories. I was going to try and pull some of those up, but then there were too many that I liked. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I shared it on the Hey Boo Twitter, which if you're not following, you should be. It's Hey Boo Podcast um, on Twitter. I can totally pull that up. Please. Um, there was this guy who just sort of said, like, it's a Thursday night, so how about we share some terrifying true life ghost stories um, in the space of a single tweet. It was J. Michael Tatum. Yes. Uh, who posted this. So there was one, let me see. Um, one of the replies, Emily Neves said, broke into an old abandoned frat house with a friend and my micro recorder. Nothing strange happened while there, but I lost the recorder. Woke to find it perched precariously on the edge of my desk. Upon playback, I heard a haunting piano underscoring our recorded conversation. No, thank you. <laughs> that is insane. No, th no, thank you, Emily. I don't think so. Oh, oh. <laughs> mm -mm. Yeah, not a good one. Nope. Um, another one was Joanna Grell. My brother's is better. He was... Uh, which is a presumptuous, but okay. <laughs> She's just like so sure that her story's the best, <laughs> which I love. I love the confidence, Joanna. Um, my brother's is better. He was six-ish, and our elderly neighbor, Mr. Glenn, was like a grandpa to us. One night at midnight, Jeff woke up screaming, Mr. Glenn, no, Mr. Glenn. My parents found out the next day that Mr. Glenn had been taken to the hospital and passed away, dot, 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 at midnight. No, I just got a few, just a couple little goosebumps popping up there. Nope. No, thank you, Grill. <laughs> oh. Ooh. I don't like it when little kids know that there are scary, you know what I mean? Because yes. they're sort of weirdly not afraid of it. Or some of them are. Some of them are afraid. But a lot of times they're just like, oh, like, there's a monster under my bed or there's a lady who lives in my closet. And they're just like, meh. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Just there's the a lady man... who lives in my closet. Oh, yeah, this is like stories and stories ago, but the man who just like stood in the hallway and watched the toddler in the crib. <laughs> and the kid was yeah. like, oh, okay, that's a presence. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. oh. No, I love that. I just like, I saw it as I was running home, and I, yeah, anyways, I love that, and we'll probably be bringing it up a few more next week myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good one. Go check out our Twitter, follow us on Twitter. Go look at it. Yeah, man. Uh, um, and also our Instagram is going to get cracking soon. <laughs> yeah, I posted some stuff today. Okay, cool. I need to go on it. I was more... That was a note for myself, not you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying it slowly because I realized I was like, oh, I haven't posted the Frank's like pictures yet. <laughs> um, you know what? You're, you're gainfully employed, so that's... <laughs> Like, not like really. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Hey Boo Podcast is also our handle on Instagram. Go follow that. Do it, friends. Um, I think that was probably it. Just again, happy August. I can't believe it's late in the summer and that we're already a year into this podcast. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I think it's you this week, um, right? Yeah, it is me this week. Yes. Um, so I am going to start, and I um, am excited to talk about this one because I, I think you probably know about this one. A lot of Canadians sort of have a little bit of knowledge about this story, um, but uh, I was looking when I was posting our uh, 
our last episode today, um, I looked in through some of our stats, and we actually have, like, a good number of pretty regular listeners from the United States and, like, a, a couple from the United Kingdom. So, hello to you. Um, <laughs> what you are guys, you doing here? Thank what you. What are you doing here? I mean, we, we love you, but what are you doing? What um, are you doing? Um, but so, like, this is a pretty famous Canadian story that's well known, but it's, hopefully I'm going to tell you things that you don't know about it, and then to those who are, um, abroad and listening, um, yeah, it's, uh, I hope you like it. Um, so this is the, yes, this is the story of Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King and his obsession with the occult. Yay! (laughs) Such a good one. I'm so excited. Are you going to talk about his grandmother? Uh, I'm going to talk about his mother. Okay. Was it his mother? I thought it was his grandmother. No, it was his mother. Oh my god. Okay, I'm already wrong about this. Please teach me. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, yay. So, Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King was born in 1874 in Berlin, which is now Kitchener, which is my hometown. What up? Um, He was Prime Minister of Canada for 22 years between 1921 and 1948. And I know what you're thinking. That math does not make sense. There was a period in the middle of there where he lost the election. And so he wasn't the prime minister, but then he became the prime minister again. But total was 22 years. Um, His mother, Isabel King, is the daughter of William Lyon Mackenzie, who is a famous pre-Canadian Confederation political rebel. Um, so he kind of, he's almost a little bit like a political dynasty pre-Trudeau, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so he and his mother were unusually close, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we'll get into that. Um, he, but, so the thing that, um, sort of revealed his obsession with the occult, um, were these prolific diaries that he kept starting from age 19. Um, they're about both of his, both his life in politics and his personal life. And if you take all of the books or all of the journals that he kept and stack them on top of each other, it is more than seven meters, which for all of our, yeah, which for all of our imperial, uh, measurements, people from the United States is 23 feet. He wrote 50,000 pages of diaries in his life. Oh my god. I mean, we write for a living, and I don't think we'll ever get to that amount. Oh my god. Yeah, <sighs> he wrote almost every day until three days before he died. It, it's it's insane. No, that is prolific. Um, Good for him. Yes, exactly, right? I am, I am a diary keeper, but I am irregular. I have, like, a, a year where I, I'll keep a diary... And then I won't keep one for two or three years. And then I'll start keeping a diary again. So this has been a little inspirational for me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Same here. I have like a week where I keep very consistent post-it notes and then I stop for about a year. So me too. Post-it notes? Yeah. No, I I am so bad at keeping a diary. I have tried. I just like, I get really sick of myself in the first paragraphs. (laughs) I day after day. And like I try, but I just, I don't know. Anyway. Um, I, yeah. annoy, I annoy myself, so I'm really glad that people listen to this podcast because I'm, sh- I don't, I don't know what you're doing here. Um, anyways, <laughs> so carry on. <laughs> yes. 
So um, I before we get into the, uh, you know, more of what he said in his diaries, I want to begin with this quote from his diary. He wrote it on January 1st, 1902. Um, he wrote, this journal is strictly private. LOL. Because um, <laughs> now it's not. Um, and... <laughs> And none should look upon its pages, save with reverent eyes and a heart that can abide with silence. For it is the story of a human life. Its ambitions, its beliefs, its failures, its broken achievements, all or any of which may be right or wrong, none of which are without their influence and purpose for all time. Which is... Loser. Beautiful. (laughs) What did you say? <laughs> Nothing. I said it was lovely. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's a whole lot, William. Okay. <laughs> it is a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but here's my thing. Um, so basically what he's saying is like, don't judge me based on what's in these um, diaries, uh, which we, you know we're going to as sure. we talk about it. Um but I just, I, I just thought that was interesting because he wrote that probably 20-ish years before he started becoming obsessed with the occult. Um, so almost knowing, maybe, in a way, that he was going to be a weirdo. Hmm. Um, but anyway, um, so his diaries became a matter of public record about 20 years-ish after he died, and they are indexed and searchable on the Archives Canada website. I searched the word ghost and got 57 hits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait to do this after. <laughs> I know, it's so good. It, honestly, it's a, it's a good read. Like, there, I really tried to narrow it down. There's so much shit in there. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, in Canada, King is now very infamous or famous for his obsession with the dead. Um, first, it's important to note how religious King was his entire life. He considered both politics and the church as a career when he was a young man. Um, he said that he was, he wrote in his diary when he was, I think, 20 years old. He was talking about like, oh, what course am I to take in life? Um, he had a great, I have a very great desire to go into politics, which Goldwyn Smith says is the noblest of all callings, though the worst of all trades. (laughs) Yep. Fair. (laughs) Which I... I love. Um, And then he said, I would add, uh, accept the ministry, which I believe to be the highest and best of all callings. And he talked a lot about his maker and the beyond. Um, It's frequently uh, referenced in his journals. Um, So he, he always tried to he, he saw religion as a way to sort of live your best life and make your best mark on the world. He also used it to try and see the best in people. Um, unfortunately, that also later applied to Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where when, he met, when he met Hitler and he was like, you know what? I can't abide by Nazism because of its cruelty to the Jews. But I, I do think Hitler is a good man and will ultimately be the deliverer of his people. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was a little little embarrassing. Um, So, but he, (laughs) the intention was there. He just wants to see the best in people, and he wants to live a good life. Um, All all the people. (laughs) All the people. Oh, my God. Uh, Every person. um, What what religion? Sorry, did you say that? Uh, I believe he was Presbyterian. Okay, that's, yeah, okay. I was going to guess something Protestant. Okay, cool. 
Yes. Um, so in just, you know, in World War One and coming out of World War One, um, he suffered a lot of tragedy. He lost his father and his mother, his brother, his sister, and his closest friend, all within a couple years of each other. Um, he was very, very close with his mother growing up. Um, it, it's funny because I think he's sort of known for having this Oedipus, co- Oedipus complex with his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that was really present uh, when she was alive. I think he became more and more obsessed with her after she died. He just wrote about her constantly. He built a shrine to her in his bedroom. The chair that she died in, he put at the foot of his bed. Um, <laughs> which is crazy I, behavior. I, I, it's yeah, it's interesting. Okay, carry on. I, I won't. Ju- I won't judge yet. <laughs> No, yeah, no judgment, no, because we're we're abiding with silence. Our hearts abide with silence. Absolutely, always. We're known for that. We're known for our silence. <laughs> um, so, um, flash forward to the 1920s. Um, he's prime minister at this point, and he starts seeing psychics. Um, one was Rachel Bleeny of Kingston. She told him things that eventually did come true. She said that he would win the upcoming upcoming general election, that he um, would have vacant seats on his cabinet. Um, I think that a lot of those things were probably safe to assume because he was already prime minister at that point. So it was kind of likely that he would get reelected. And obviously, after an election, there's going to be empty seats on the cabinet that always happens yeah Um, i I was gonna say it sounds like she's good at politics not necessarily the psychic realm but okay yes yeah exactly um and he but he took these as signs that she was um actually psychic that she had a gift um and but she also got things wrong there are a couple instances um where she got things wrong but i guess for the most part he seemed to think that she got things right um, a lot of what he what she said to him was just encouragement. She said that she saw him speaking in front of crowds of people, that he would come to the fore in a blaze and a great excitement, and that there will be uncertainty uncertainty in some measure for a time, but don't be swayed, hold firm. Like just it was a lot of really general advice about just recognizing his own strength, which, you know, if you have a good life coach but they'll tell you that. I was just going to say, she sounds like a motivational speaker slash flapper. Like, good for her, but okay, okay. yeah, sure. Yeah, she was like a DJ Khaled. <laughs> exactly. In, yeah, in the 1920s. You said her name was Rachel Bellini? Bellini. B-L-E-A-N-E-Y. Oh, okay. I thought you said it was Bellini. I was like, that's pretty fake. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, King claims that he never let these readings influence his leadership but i'm calling bullshit on that (laughs) because how could it not if dead people are talking to you so okay so one of the examples is um a russian spy ring that um canada was having an issue with in 1945 um and he (laughs) He, like, summoned his brother to give him advice about it. And I was like, first of all, what does your brother know about what to do about a Russian spy ring? Um, second of all, the <laughs> uh, Russian spy ring, that's a pretty serious deal. Why are you talking to dead people about it? 
you know? <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, but 1920s, you know, yeah, Russia had, I mean, well, a couple years beforehand, but, like, changed over, we're still trying to figure it out, yeah, eh, I don't know. I mean, you're Not probably consulting as many people as you can, including maybe dead people, yeah. You know, you know yeah. I'll, I'll buy that, I'll buy that, yeah. You know, if you've got a, <laughs> a, a, a dead person, uh, like a, a family advisor that you could, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, yeah. Right. Um, he also detailed some paranormal things that happened to him, including this one from February 28th, 1925. He wrote, tonight I had a dinner party, and then he lists all the names of people who came. Um, it was rather a difficult group to get interested. I was very tired and found it less enjoyable than any dinner I had given, which isn't that always the case. <laughs> this is why you don't have people over and you order pizza for one. Amen. <laughs> So anyway, so he writes, while at the table, near the end of the course, we felt the table begin to shake, then the house, and then heard a rumbling. At first, I thought it was the table falling apart or someone trying to pull it to the other end. Then I could feel the walls move and the house itself sway. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, yeah. He said everyone at the table felt it. And then he writes, it was kind of long, but he basically said, like, every person at the table was like, oh, I have to go. I uh, gotta go check on the kids. Bye. And, like, just got the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone left and he was like, don't know what that was. So that sounds scary. But then I Googled February 8th, 28th, 1925. And there was an earthquake that day. I was I was just going to say, it was an earthquake or it was a passing train, maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was an earthquake. Okay. There was a 6.2 magnitude earthquake at 9.19 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, that was felt along parts of the St. Lawrence River. So, I mean, we're not really there, but we in Ottawa, we probably would have felt a little bit of it at least. Um, yeah. So it was probably just that <laughs> not a cult at all <laughs> uh but this was before the internet so we couldn't blame him for for that um two days after that though he had mrs bleeny over for a seance and apparently she told him about his dead mother and brother and he during this seance he invited two friends in to hear what she said because he found what she was saying so astonishing um, and really true, I guess. It just fit. Um, and this is what blows my mind, is that none of his friends or employees who all knew that he was like this told anyone about this. <laughs> no one said anything. It was a very well-kept secret. In fact, later on, like, he used to handwrite his journals, but then later on he started dictating his diaries to his secretary, who would type them up. And what the fuck must she have been thinking? He's like, oh, yes, spoke to mother today. She said that I should plant peonies in the garden this spring. And her secretary's like, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> You know what? True. I it's it's sort of terrifying, but I also I like that loyalty that she's like, uh, oh, this guy's clearly he sees dead people, but I'm into it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's and a so job. My you thing know is what? To... It's a job. <laughs> it's a job, right? You're just the secretary. <laughs> um, but my thing is, if this were a current leader, that would be front page news, and people would be questioning their ability to lead. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but Paul Hellier or Hillier. 
he was one of the, he was like a long-serving, or he is, he, well, he's still alive, he's just retired. He was a long-serving politician in Canada, and he was a defense minister, and he gave an interview in 2014 where he said that he believed that four species of aliens regularly visited Earth and had yes. for thousands of years, right? And everyone freaked out. Everyone panicked and made fun of him, and Yahoo News called it sad, and... <laughs> You know what? Like, I, but like, I for one would find it a little bit comforting if certain leaders came out and did admit to talking to dead people or believing in, you know, the flying spaghetti monster or whatever else. Like, I would find <laughs> that like I take that in stride these days. Like the way that the world is shaking out right now, I'd be like, sure, yeah, <laughs> makes sense with the way yeah, things are going. Exactly. So at least like. <laughs> you know, William Lyme McKenzie was in touch with, with those beliefs and he was, he was upfront about it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's crazy. The loyalty, cause nobody, and not only did nobody knew about it until after he died, nobody knew about it until 20 years after he died when his diaries became public record and people started reading them. Like even after he was dead, people who knew him didn't tell anybody. Okay, um, sorry to interrupt, but was he, but he had a family, did he not? No. He was unmarried and he didn't have any children. Oh, no, I didn't think he had kids. He had no wives? No, he had no wife. And, like, I get to that later, but, yeah, like, he, when he was having dinner parties, he had a very good friend who was a woman who was married, um, and he would invite her over to act as the hostess for his dinner parties because he didn't have a wife oh, um, and apparently it bothered him a little bit like I didn't read these parts of his diary of the diary so I can't confirm it but there I read some articles where they were talking about how sometimes he wrote in his diary that he he wished he had a wife or that you know when he's visiting abroad and other people have their wives present and he, he just wished he had somebody there which okay. is probably I mean, why he that's... became so obsessed with his mother. Yes, no, no, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know, that's, that's sort of falling into line now a little bit, but interesting. Okay, I want to learn more about this person who, like, played hostess at all the, like, how was that also not out of the bag? Okay, this is fascinating. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, King claimed throughout his diaries to have contacted um, Leonardo da Vinci, Wilfred Laurier and President Roosevelt, and he used a crystal ball to summon them. Yes. Um, he also spoke to his dogs. This is a well-known about <laughs> Mackenzie King was his obsession with his dogs. So he had three dogs. They were all English terriers. No, sorry, Irish terriers. And they were all named Pat. But he only had one. Like, he had Pat the first and then Pat died, and then he got another Irish Terrier, and also named that Pat, and then Pat died, and then he got a third Irish Terrier, and named it Pat. Um, That's the most chilling not, thing you've said this entire story. It is! It's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. It's like he can't... He doesn't want things to be dead. He just so desperately doesn't want things to be gone forever. So, instead of getting a new dog, and naming it a new thing... And he just got a dog that looked exactly like his old dog and named it the exact same thing. Oh, it's spooky. <laughs> Which is just, it's like, you can tell he was just so traumatized as a young man when all of those people died really quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's not normal behavior, I don't think. I think he's just so grief-stricken and, 
you know, mental health wasn't a thing back then, so he just never dealt with it. But he mm-hmm. would also, so he would talk to his dead dogs, like, summon them in seances and shit, and ask them advice as, as well. Like, oh, Pat, what am I to do? Okay, the, the dogs were the dogs were deceased though. This isn't a taxidermy scenario. Like they weren't around his. No, manor. no, no. Okay. They were they were buried properly and everything, as okay. far as we know. Okay, I mean that's a bit of a but relief. He, okay. Yeah. So that and that's a well known fact about him that he talked to his dead dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Little known fact about him was that he spoke to his living dogs and not like who's a good boy. Do you want to go for a walk? He would. Um, talk to them about what he did during the day he would <laughs> he would read them the news out of the newspaper and try and divine what they thought about the news by the wagging of their tail <laughs> like he had a full-on relationship with these dogs oh it's funny yet so sad on some levels it's okay so yeah sad yeah um <laughs> he also um interpreted his fortune um, in the shapes of his shaving cream on his face and in his tea leaves. Um, One example was at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto. He had a cup of tea and he thought he saw two birds in his tea leaves and he wrote that he thought it meant that the Liberals were going to win a provincial election in 1934 and then that happened. Um... (laughs) He also bought into numerology, so yep. he liked the number seven because World War II ended on May 7th, and he liked number 17 because that was his birthday. So when something significant happened, he would check the clock and see if there was a seven or 17 in the time. I mean, Pearl Harbor also happened on the 7th day of, of December, so I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just historically, there's a lot about seven, but okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Tea leaves, I could maybe understand. The shavings, though, is a, a new twist. Right? Huh. Okay. Okay. Going with it. Um, well, especially because you have some control if you're shaving your face. And you've, you've got you know really mean? one sh- predominant shape there. You know, tea leaves, at least, they sort of scatter and rearrange. And But, okay, it's fine. I'm yeah. into it. <laughs> he, he also used a trumpet to channel the voices of the dead. Um, <laughs> I feel so like they wouldn't on, like that. I, I feel like no, that would I don't not, think be, so. not be welcome. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, th- for the first time he tried it, it sounds like you might be right. So he tried it for the first time on February 4th, 1932. He put a silver trumpet on the floor at a dinner party. You know, just like a fun night with friends, as you do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's like, so yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know what a fun night with friends is like. No. <laughs> okay, so what you do is you put a silver trumpet on the floor, and then voices come out of it, like okay. someone gasping and drowning. Awesome. <laughs> or um, another that sounded like someone emerging from the ether, whatever the fuck that sounds like. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. No. no, no, no. And then he tried it again at a later seance, and he heard his mother say, Yes, Billy, it is your mother. Father is here, too, and grandfather. They are very proud of you. We are all here watching you. Oh, okay. Well, that's also terrifying. 
But also very specific. You know how ghosts are usually not, um, they're a bit more cryptic? And not as, yeah, um, loquacious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And she, she must have just been sick of him contacting her the whole time. She's like, I'll just send him a sign here and a sign there. And eventually she was like, wow, this guy really needs, like, a brick over the head. Hi, sweetie, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, boy. Okay. Yeah, and so to my family, who's probably not listening to this, but um, I love you, but if you haunt me when you're dead, I'm going to be so fucking mad. Don't do it. (laughs) Uh, I'll be stressed. I'll be really stressed. I would be, like, mildly stressed. I would be more stressed, though, if I was a ghost that was just trying to sort of pass on peacefully, and I had this son that kept doing these weird dinner party tricks and, like, trying to anchor me back into the world. That would be frustrating, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, I don't have unfinished business, Mr. Norman Bates. You have unfinished business. Let me go. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Um... So he wrote diaries until three days before his death in 1950. Um, He died of pneumonia at the age of 75. Um, So what's going on here? I think it was a combination of things. He was extreme. Obviously, he was extremely religious. And the fact that the dead are in heaven or are still with us isn't that far fetched in most Christian religions, which is why I think a lot of people didn't look at this as if he was a weirdo at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I think, because they all believe that you don't die for good when you're dead, that you go to some beyond. Um, and so, of, of course, the next logical step is, okay, can we still contact them? Um, I also think he was extremely lonely for most of his adult life. Um, and a lot of people were at that time. This was after two major world wars, a lot of people lost loved ones. And so we sort of saw this reemergence of like the Victorian obsession with the occult because people really wanted to contact their, their dead relatives. Um, and he was apparently not that much fun to be around. I think partially because he was just a a bit weird. He was a socially awkward man. Apparently he was also, he's, he's so smart, but it kind of made him come off as a bit egotistical. Um, so I think people found him hard to be around. Um, and so he, he never married. He never had children. He had to have his, like a a friend's wife act as a hostess for him because apparently you have to have a woman run things at dinner parties. Um, And I also think he was under incredible stress leading a country through the Depression and also World War II. And so he was just constantly seeking guidance. Like, he didn't have friends to turn to. He kind of just had political allies. Mm -hmm. And so he was just, you know, he was just reaching out for something. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, if if you're thinking about sort of exceptional political and you know, global circumstances in the 20th century. Yeah. He saw a good chunk of those. And I think like, yeah, mm-hmm. that combined with his personal turmoil just compounded, um, into talking to the dog that shares the same name every generation. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's profoundly sad. It's um, very sad. And that's why I don't think like, I, I still think it's a little bit weird, but mm-hmm. I, I also think that it's probably not that weird given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Also, fun fact, I might be related to him. Yes. No, okay, that was the thing I was going to bring up because I remember you and I talking about this when we were we were in Ottawa. Yes. Um, and we saw that. It was a picture of him, wasn't it? It was a painting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was a painting. Yeah, we were, um, we were out in Gatineau. And <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's, yeah, no, no, that's what I was thinking of. Um Interesting. Yeah, so we've been doing our family tree a bit more, and we think that we are descended from one of his cousins. Because obviously, like, he didn't have um, Direct any descendants? Direct descendants. His sister and his brother died. They both mm-hmm. died. So I don't know if there are any direct king descendants. I may, he might have been the last one. But yeah, I think we're, we're related to potentially one of his cousins. And so that might explain my fascination with the paranormal. Maybe hey, it's inherited. That's, that's cool. I like that. Do you have any crystal balls lying around that we should know about? No, I have tarot cards. Okay, that counts. That that counts. It's good. That counts, yeah. Um, so, right yeah, on. That's the story of Mackenzie King. That's That was fantastic. I It was not the one I was anticipating, um, and it was ten times better than the one I was anticipating. Um, and I'm not going to say the story because I might use it in one of these weeks, but, um, no, that was fantastic. Um, yeah. did he ever contact anybody aside from family members, like via medium or anything else? Yeah. So he, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Yes. Right. Right. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. Wilfred Laurier. He loved Wilfred Laurier. That was a very regular contact of his. Um, and Franklin D. Roosevelt, because, uh, he, met Franklin D. Roosevelt and then FDR died when he was in office. And so he frequently sought counsel from FDR after he died. He was also one of the people that he contacted during the Russian spy ring. He talked to his brother and he talked to FDR. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. Um, Interesting. Okay, so yeah, but still like family members and mentors kind of for the most part. Yes. No one like, no one truly random. That's interesting. Hmm. Mm, Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, what a lonely prime minister. Poor fellow. I know. Well, yeah, so that's that my was story. terrific, Mags. Well done. Thank you. Well All right, done. on to you. Okay. <laughs> so I can't... I wrote these notes weeks and weeks ago. I think I found this story maybe in May. Um, so I've been thinking about it, and I'm surprised that I haven't done it already because it's very mo it's a very mo type story um but it's it's crazy okay so i'm going to be telling you the story of the gibraltar point lighthouse um Ooh, okay have you been there <laughs> no i just i i love the word gibraltar okay that's, that, that's, that's literally good the only reason I said ew. <laughs> because I was thinking of actually referring to it as the Gonzo Bananas Lighthouse henceforth, um, because the story <laughs> is beyond. Um, so here we go. Anyways, uh, I actually, um, uh, you will probably know a part of this story. Um, it's, it's located in the Toronto Islands. Um, so modern day Hanlon's Point, if you've ever been there to the lovely beaches. I have not. Um, it's one of Toronto's oldest buildings, uh, and back in those days, uh, so we're talking about the 1800s, uh, Toronto was known as York, uh, Mm -hmm. which everyone who's cool and from T.O. knows. Uh, so, in 1803, uh, along with two other lighthouses, the 
Gibraltar Point uh, Lighthouse was authorized by the Legislative Assembly of Upper Canada. So we're discussing a time when, yes, Upper and Lower Canada existed. Um, so this act approved these lighthouses, which good on us for building those. Um, but the construction didn't start for about five years. Uh, if you're bad at listening or perhaps math, uh, that's 1808. Uh, so <laughs> the height, uh, was 52 feet, or I'm going to convert the metrics also, uh, which I think is what, 16 meters, uh, depending on, again, your metric system or your colonial history. Um, <laughs> but in 1832, it was extended. So, or just built up. I don't know what you do with lighthouses. Um, but it was taller, uh, <laughs> in 1832. Uh, so it extended up to a height of 82 feet. 25 meters, um, and if you really need to know sort of exact uh, dimensions, uh, the diameter of the base was about seven meters. So I summarize all of this to say that it was kind of a lanky lighthouse. It was pretty small around the base, but pretty tall. Um, it was as wide as the number of uh, journals that <laughs> that's seven meters. That's exactly when you were saying that. I actually started. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting that that number will come up again." <laughs> um, oh, the number seven. Oh, oh, it's so interesting. Yes. So imagine those <laughs> those books spread out across the floor, <laughs> and uh, that's that's the width of your lighthouse base. Um, yeah. Again, if anybody cares about the materials, uh, <laughs> it was made out of stone. Uh, and this is the, like, I love historical ghost tales because they give you so much detail that you didn't really need. Uh, so the stones were quarried at Queenston and Kingston, if anybody ever wanted to know that. Um, but anyways, the total work was completed in 1809. So when it opened, uh, the lighthouse keeper's cottage was also built. Um, and it was kind of built out of square logs, um, and it was two stories with, I think, like, an attic on top, like a loft where the lighthouse keeper would sleep, um, and then the base where they would probably cook their meals and knit and do fun things. I don't know what a lighthouse keeper does, but that's where <laughs> they would do them. Um, <laughs> sleep a lot, probably. Yeah, and then, so I was reading articles that went into so much detail about the transition of the lighthouse lamp itself, um... <laughs> Like, over time, so from the 1800s to um, later in the 20th century. And so it switched from candles to being lit by sperm whale oil uh, to coal to then electricity. So again, there's, like, lots of blogs on this if you're really interested. Hold on. They lit a lighthouse with candles? What the fuck good does that do? <laughs> you don't <laughs> like... <laughs> Again, 1800s. <laughs> I, I Is guess. this the Underground Railroad? Like, you can't <laughs> see that shit from a boat. What? Maggie, that's probably why there's so many shipwrecks. <laughs> we wouldn't have this podcast if they didn't do that, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> if everything was fine, we would have no ghosts. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyways, okay. so if you want to learn the trajectory of light in the lighthouse, again, go online. I don't have time here. Um... And, but anyways, all you need to know is that when ships approached, as one does if you're a lighthouse keeper, um, you warned the, whatever the Coast Guard was, did I write that down? Yes, uh, the Toronto, or then York Harbor Master. Um, so ships would approach, they'd run a flag up the flagpole? Is there a flagpole? 
Anyways, they'd run a flag up. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I, don't, I wasn't there, but something happened. What? Ship... That ma- you, it was the light shining on the flagpole? Because otherwise they can't see the flag. That's the point. You know what, Maggie? It's dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming the 1800s people who, like, didn't know how to fucking turn a light on. <laughs> and decided to use candles. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, anyways, so... I don't think there were that many shipwrecks, though, in York in those days. So somehow the system worked out with the candles and the flags. Um, again, as always, somebody feel free to call in with many complaints. Um, anyway, the port was a huge <laughs> asset to York in those days. Um, and then we move on kind of quickly from 1809, uh, because I didn't care about the years in between. Uh, so the first lighthouse keeper was John Paul, I'm going to mess this up, Radelmuller. So it's a German <laughs> word with umlauts. Um, so he was a German immigrant uh, to Upper Canada. Uh, initially, he moved from Bavaria, where he was a farmer, um, and he lived in the Maritimes and then returned to Germany and then eventually landed in York um, in 1804 and worked there for a while. Um, anyway, so he was, yeah, he was the first official lighthouse keeper at the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse. Um, the lighthouse withstood a lot of different, um, tumultuous times in York's history. So the lighthouse was there during the Battle of York in 1813. Um, American ships bombarded York or then Toronto or now Toronto, sorry, uh, and invaded. Um, and it was sorted out, but you know, at the end of the day, parliament built, uh, burnt down. So that happened. Um, and then... <laughs> The British uh, decided to take the high ground in the War of 1812. Um, so in the latter part of that war, so actually 1814, the British uh, burnt the White House down in retaliation. Um, and so during this whole sort of light sibling rivalry between uh, then sort of Canada, Britain, and the U.S., um, the lighthouse keeper kept watch at, uh, at the lighthouse in York. Um, just keeping an eye out, uh, for enemy ships. I think the Americans is what the subtext there is. Um, that is way more than his job description originally was. Can you imagine that's being the light keeper and then all of a sudden you're across <laughs> from Rochester and you're like, shit, they're coming. I know. No, these stories all kind of like subtly mentioned these wars. I'm thinking like, okay, that's, that's slightly <laughs> more than maybe what was advertised in the job description, but Okay. <laughs> He probably got um, five more dollars a year. Oh yeah, <laughs> to <maybe>. do it, <laughs> maybe a couple more candles to really celebrate. Um, <laughs> anyways, so Rattlemuller was around for all of this, um, <laughs> and however, um, something happened in January or Jan- on January second of eighteen fifteen. So he disappeared under suspicious circumstances. Um, what? not never they're never suspicious they're just always morbid um it seems so okay i don't want to spoil anything but there seems to be a consensus uh he died uh and it's there seems to be a consensus that he was murdered and this is the best part of the story over his homebrewed beer over his beer for his homebrewed beer yes Oh, I know. I knew that. I he, I think I read that. That's so funny. <laughs> over yes. So all, there's like all of this historical misdirection in this story, <laughs> and then he's murdered over some 
yeah, homemade craft beer, it sounds like. Um, and then I was reading an article, I think it was a Torontoist, that was saying that he <laughs> he was from Germany, so, you know, if we're being stereotypical, one could maybe assume that he probably has a good German wheat ale, or, like, he's probably perfected the craft a little bit, um, you know, if you're, if you're clinging to stereotypes. But um, anyway, so I think, though, it's the consensus seems to be that, yeah, he was killed over this beer, and also that he used the um, the brewing to supplement his income as a lighthouse keeper because aside from, you know, fending off all these American ships, um, I don't know if he was paid that much. So, right. yeah, anyways, um, so on the eve of January 2nd, 1815, uh, two soldiers from Fort York showed up at his door, um, the lighthouse keeper's square log cabin, um, John Henry and John Bloman. Um, Everybody was named John back then. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was like most Caucasian male names um, in those times. Okay, so then, yeah, so there seems to be different versions of the story. So I'm going to present sort of three options to you that I picked because I liked them. Um, okay. But <laughs> no, they're like kind of the general main stories, but there's so many different versions. Um, again, choose your own adventure, go online, uh, chase down whatever version of this you feel. Um, okay, so... The first one is that uh, the soldiers stopped, because again, dead of winter in Toronto, probably a little bit chilly, um, that they stopped at the cabin at the lighthouse keeper's house there, and they just, you know, needed some food, needed a bit of rest, um, and they bought a batch of his liquor, um, but that Radenmuller um, actually watered down the liquor. <laughs> so they went on their merry way. But because it was winter, uh, when the alcohol went f- froze in the in the winter temperatures, um, the soldiers obviously discovered that it was not fully alcohol or the beer that he so famously brewed, um, and returned it to get revenge for the watered down alcohol. So that's okay. One of the can w- I just say yeah. I don't buy that one because I don't think a German would do that to beer. <sighs> I mean, it's a it, that's a terrific point. Additionally. And this, this one came, that yeah, so that was from, I think, a Toronto Star article. Like, if you were that angry, I don't, I just think, like, the winter's probably tough enough in Canada. If you had gone on your way somewhere, you probably wouldn't trek all the way back. You know, like, I just think if right. you make progress in Canadian snow, you're not backtracking, is all I'm going to say. I think, right. out of, you know, that's it. Um, so that one, yeah, fine, kind of, whatever. Um, then the other version of the story... Um, the main one, and then I'll give variations of this one. Uh, Radenmuller was serving the soldiers as they came to his home uh, at this cabin, and um, he tried to close up shop, um, and the two Johns were getting pretty rowdy, and they didn't want him to close it down. So the early closing led to a deadly brawl, a uh, pretty drunken brawl with these two Johns, and it led to his sad demise. Um, again. Okay. Two, two soldiers versus one lighthouse keeper. I'm just saying, the odds are not in his favor. Um, right. Also, okay. toxic masculinity. Exactly. Uh, and then, that, that's, that's pretty par for the course, I think. Exactly. And then you're sort of getting, like, cabin fever. You're all stuck together in this wintry place and drinking beer. You know, it's, it, yeah, it doesn't brew. It doesn't, it doesn't brew for, for anything good. Um, and Except so, for the beer. Exactly. Ha. Um, and so there's, again, different versions of that. So the brawl, some people say, happened sort of where the kitchen was, I think on the lower floor. Now, it was two floors in this cabin. Um, so then another version is that 
Ram Mueller tried to run away and they got to him on the stairwell and he was actually killed on the stairwell. Um, another one is that he's, he was in the lighthouse and then made up those stairs um, to the top of the lighthouse and fell off of it. Uh. Yeah, so it was pushed <laughs> off kind of by accident in like a little like not as serious brawl, but um, again, just sort of, I think, a drunken accident with these soldiers. Um, but at the end of the day... Radenmuller has perished on January 2nd. Um, and again, the most disturbing thing to me is that there seems to be a consensus that he died. The versions of how that happened are far and few and varied. Um, but then everyone across the story seems to agree that if that did happen, that the soldiers dismembered him with an axe. No, ew. Uh. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um to hide the evidence, whether it was an accident, whether he fell off the lighthouse, whether he was attacked on the stairs, whether or not they came back for revenge. Every version seems to agree because his remains were never really found. Um, There was one lighthouse keeper later on who reported finding a jawbone and other scattered... Yeah, yeah, and other scattered remains. Um, But then he said that he reburied them and they were never found again. Um, so the remains have never, there hasn't been a consensus about the remains. They haven't really been found or, or accepted to have been found. Um, but yeah, it seems like because they never really found any evidence that at the very least they did something. And also a grisly fact that came up, I think in again, one of the articles, it was winter. So they wouldn't have been able to bury the remains. So they probably had to do something to make them disperse. Disperse? Well, because they couldn't have dug a grave, right? Because the ground would have been frozen, so they probably would have had to do something to, like, parcel... Anyway, gross. Um, Oh, like Breaking Bad style. Yeah, it's not good. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... Okay, can we also talk about the other lighthouse keeper who found a bunch of bones and was like, you know what I'm gonna do? Rebury these. Yes. Can and you imagine finding a bone and being like, you know what? I'm not gonna tell anybody about this. I'm not gonna call the cops. It's probably nothing. I'm just going to bury it in the ground so that whatever it is can haunt me forever. Well, and the other thing is, a jawbone is is pretty. It's pretty clear that it's a jawbone. If it's something else or a, a bone fragment, you know. But a human jawbone. <laughs> You, yeah, that's not a chipmunk bone. You know what I mean? No. Like, you can't confuse it for something else. No, exactly. You can't confuse those for animal remains. Like, that's very evidently, anyways, not good. Um, so, yes. So, apparently, that's sort of, again, the consensus uh, that he was murdered and that he was dismembered. The versions in between the narratives shift and, uh, and vary. So, um, then I found a note somewhere because I was wondering what happened to these guards. Um, and I think it was the Toronto Star. Um, but there was a note that eventually the guards were, were found and arrested, imprisoned, indicted, and then acquitted. Hmm. Which, again, indicates perhaps that there wasn't the evidence to convict them. Right. Gross. Real yeah. gross, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how anybody ever got convicted for a crime back then. They knew that, nothing about forensics. What, that's like, the other unless thing. somebody saw you do it, or yeah. unless they thought you were a witch, like yeah. you were innocent. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and like lone lighthouse keeper 
parishes. And again, he's been through these, you know, wars and, and wars in Toronto and stuff, like, versus two soldiers from Fort York. I don't know. I just think it was probably a little skewed in their favor and, ugh, gross. Uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I don't think those two Johns were ever really convicted of the crime, which is terrible. Um, so, you know, surprisingly, um, J.P. Redmuller, he, uh, he actually haunts the lighthouse. Uh, I can't Oh, great! Imagine. I, I <laughs> can't shock. imagine why. Uh, seems really <laughs> petty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, there's lots of different versions. Um, no one has ever really seen him fully as a specter. Um, but on a full moon, when the light reflects all around the stone and the water, uh, people have reported feeling a disturbed or startling presence. Um, people on the group paranormalseekers.ca uh, have reported speaking either directly or through um, one of the mediums on, on their journeys um, with a presence around the lighthouse who communicates with them and his name that he goes by is either Jim or Paul. E. Okay. Yep. Uh, Jim, though, I'm like, his name was John, so, okay. Bit of a stretch. Uh, Paul is his middle name, so sure. Um, and then this one makes me shudder. Uh, people have heard moans and have reported a sudden eerie mist creeping over the Toronto islands. Like, Ooh, I've heard about the mist, yes. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks, though. <laughs> um, this one actually relates a little bit to your story last week. Um, so if he was murdered on the stairs, um, some people have seen the blood spilled on the stairs um, that seemed really fresh. Um, and like it had been, yeah, it hadn't been, you know, all these centuries um, that Red and See, were... that's the one I really hate. I really hate that. <laughs> I really just just despise that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't like blood on wood reappearing. No, <laughs> I'm okay without it. Um, and then what else? Um, I can't read my own writing. Oh, okay, yeah, there have been reports of someone walking up and down the lighthouse steps when no one is inside. Boring happens all the time. Just kidding. No one's <laughs> no one's sleeping at night. Um, and then I really, really hate this one. I think it's one of my least favorite signs of paranormal activity. Um, the lighthouse lamp has been shining when no one has turned it on in the first place. Mm, I don't like light candle. <laughs> yeah, it, well, that that was my question. I was like, is it electric? What stage of lighthouse are we at? <laughs> is it the candle? Is it burning with the sperm whale oil? Who knows? Um, yeah, no, I I hate lights turning on uh, without any cause. Uh, no, thank you. So, these days, um, oh, I forgot a note. Okay, yeah, so the lighthouse, um, was handed down. So the lore, you know, that one lighthouse keeper, I think his name is Duran, the one who said that he found the bones and then reburied them. Um, but the lore is kind of questioned because it was handed down, um, orally from lighthouse keeper to lighthouse keeper, <laughs> uh, with anybody again finding the remains fully or really verifying what had happened. So... Uh, you know, again, grain, pound of salt. Um, these days, uh, the lighthouse, oh, it was decommissioned in 1958, um, declared a heritage spot and sort of, and the city of Toronto has taken it over, obviously, on the islands. I really think that's a cover-up. No one wants to go there because of the creepy mist. <laughs> 
Um, or because they couldn't bring ships into harbor safely because the lighting fiasco, I don't know, but, um, no longer a lighthouse. Um, and then I was reading this article of the Toronto Star that was trying to paint this beautiful picture of it, um, talking about, like, the white ship paint and the cool stone in the White House and the lush wetlands. And I, it reminded me very much of last summer when you and I were talking about Winnipeg real estate. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and how people would try and oversell their creepy basements when it was clearly haunted. And it's okay. Just be honest. Your place is haunted. You're going to sell it at a reduced, reduced price. It's fine. Just be upfront about it. Don't try and sell it. <laughs> and then, yeah, Toronto Star was, like, going out of its way to talk about the ducklings and then, like, glossing over the grisly murder. Um, <laughs> so that... Fake news is the creepy and bizarrely historic story (laughs) of the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse and our friend, John Paul Radenmuller. (laughs) What a guy. What a guy. What a poor guy. He just wanted to be a craft brewery guy in Toronto. I mean, a lot of people have that dream these days. What is so wrong with it? And these two clowns show up on January 2nd and just dash his dreams. Were they American? <laughs> or were they Canadians returning from the war? They were Canadian. I didn't care to Google because I'm lazy. Um, but I think Fort York is the main probably military base in Toronto in, Toronto in those days. So I think they were soldiers okay. who were probably returning to base and saw the lighthouse. Because I was yeah. going to say, if they were American, that's a fucking typical. <laughs> No, I just think they were just kind of, you know, gross, brutish guys who decided to dismember a uh, innocent man. Yeah. Right. Anyways. Great. Terrible. Terrible and yeah. apparently super haunted, so we should go there someday. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because it's not that far. Well, it's far for you, but not that far for me. So or we you can should go. go and you should FaceTime me. Yes, I'll report back. I'll bring I'll bring my microphone and my ghost hunting devices and we'll figure it out. Also, so I have I found out today that there are spirit box apps on your phone. Stop. Um, I forgot to mention that in business. So I think that in a in our and in in a future episode, we should do some spirit boxing, but we'll have to do that literally in the dead of day because otherwise I'm going to be so fucking freaked out that I won't sleep. I agree. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I already talked to myself in my empty, dark apartment, so let's do it at, like, 9 a.m., perhaps. Um, right so on. So here's a fun thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm hearing some noises in my apartment, um, and I'm really hoping that it's the cat, but I'm going to come out of the closet that I'm in and uh, see if there's a murderer out there, and you can come with me. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. I'm not holding my breath. I'm not scared. You're scared. I'm really scared. The whole, like, literally the whole time I was like, it sounds like somebody's outside. Oh, it is Rupert. Did you hear that? Hi, sweetie. No, did he say hello? Did he say hey, booze? He hears bell. <laughs> All right. So um, it was just a cat. It was just the cat. Okay. Not a murderer. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm upstairs. The murderer could be downstairs, but you know. True, true, true. We'll uh, we'll do our best. 
Okay. Cat, cat or murder. Cat or murder. My favorite Friday cat. night game. Um, yeah, exactly. It's a game I play every night. What? Um, should we do a theme next week? We haven't done one in a while. Ooh, yeah. Okay, let's do a theme. Um, let's do... That's a good theme. <laughs> we may have to decide the theme without the, the lovely people. <laughs> True. Then we'll right. just no, that's stay, with the, I, yeah, stay we'll with the theme. But I think the next week episode. we should get a little... Although I loved your story this week. I thought they, they blended. Um, yes, they did. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll pick a theme and then next week, friends, stay tuned. It'll probably be about cats or candles. So get ready. <laughs> exactly. Great. All right. Well, um, see you later, booze. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, booze. Bye, booze. <laughs> Our great theme song is Ghost Baby by the Crips. Yes, that's Crips like Crip Keeper and not like the gang. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email at heyboopodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>